0: You may be seated. Gospel Hope, isn't it good to be in the house this morning? Man, it is good to see you this morning. Your bright and beautiful faces gets me excited about what God could do in the life of this church for his glory on the land of history. If you're with me, say amen. 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 Well, I'm glad to be here. I feel so honored. My name is Christian. It is truly an honor to be able to stand before you and bring God's word. This morning, I am so undeserving of this privilege, both because I am a sinner in need of the absolute, total transforming grace of Jesus Christ through his blood and resurrection. And to be able to be able to stand before such a great, such a great and influential church like you is such a gift by God's grace. Your pastors have, been, um, have meant so much to me over the years as I've watched God use them over and over in my life. And uh, you have every reason to be grateful for them. This morning, if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to John chapter 15. We're going to be flying over John 15, the middle of it, all the way to the end of 16. And I won't read all of it, but we're going to enjoy time together in God's Word. Uh, I am married. My wife is on the front row, Kimmy. We've been married for almost 13 years by God's grace. We have four kids together, Charlie Ann, who is 11, Madeline, who's 9, Brady, who is 5, and Barrett, who is 20 months. We say that Barrett's the one that's going to put us in the grave. Uh, he is a challenge, but he is so cute. We love him. Uh, as, a, as a parent, it's fun to watch your kids grow up, and it's fun to see what they begin to gravitate toward. One of the rewarding parts of parenting is seeing that they begin to gravitate towards some of the things that you loved as a kid. So for Barrett, my 20-month-year-old and 20-month-old, and I, we both have an appreciation for a nice pair of jays. Uh, some might call that indoctrination. Uh, I call that good taste. Amen. And um, Brady and I, my five-year-old, we love a good game of Madden. We don't have Madden in the house. Uh, but no shade on that if you do, but we have Madden at grandparents' house and we like to play Madden together. And uh, one of the things I I realize is when you play Madden, it's a lot like riding a bike. If you're good at it once, you're always gonna be good at it. By God's grace, I'm really good at Madden this morning. Um, God humbles me in a lot of areas, but Madden is not one of them. My my in-laws have the game and uh, it's a lot of fun to play it with Brady. One of the things that we'll do is, I'll get up by a lot of touchdowns early on, just to put Brady in his place to remind him that dad knows what he's doing. And uh, from Brady's point of view, he, he doesn't feel like he has what it takes to come back. He'll start to get dejected and discouraged. But in that, I'm trying to teach him a lesson. I tell him, keep a great attitude and give it your best effort, and until the very end, we'll see what happens. What he doesn't know is that I have a few tricks up my sleeve. That when he feels like he's losing, I'll run a all-out punt block because I know that Brady hikes the ball and immediately throws a pass. He doesn't even take a drop. So the best way to help Brady score is to run an all-out punt block and then he'll be able to score a touchdown every single time. Up to this point, I have never won a game against Brady and it's all about having the right perspective. It's all about Brady having the right perspective when he feels like he's losing, to know that dad's got a few tricks up his sleeve. This morning, the savior himself is going to orient our vision to see that he's got a few tricks up his sleeve when we feel like we're losing the cultural battle or feel like we're not able to push past darkness the Savior himself wants to give us insight to orient our lives and to understand that he has some tricks up his sleeve. In this particular passage, we see that Jesus announced leaving them. He let them know that they will face persecution, hatred, and hardship. And this sudden change in their life caused them to question everything that they once believed in, Make no mistake about it, this was a moment of deep and utter darkness in the hearts of these disciples. All of their hopes and dreams were dashed at the declaration of their king. Their king would soon die and leave them by themselves in their minds, and they would have no hope to fend for themselves. Jesus, knowing that they would feel this way, left them not to their own imaginations they he knew left to their own imaginations that they wouldn't make it the disciples felt like they had lost but they didn't see what would take place from Jesus perspective they were hopeless in their own imagination they did not know that god himself had some tricks up his sleeve i just want to ask you gospel hope are you discouraged this morning by the hostility that is growing toward the gospel we live in a world that is growing increasingly more and more hostile to the gospel. And it can make you feel like there's nothing really you can do to push back the darkness. It can feel like the darkness has already won. This mindset doesn't move us toward the world but moves us out of the world and we end up retreating to try and protect our families and our environments, the things that we feel like we can control because the things outside of us, we surely can't. We retreat rather than advance. Church, we are in a moment where the darkness around us feels so heavy that in our imagination, we cannot see the possibility for real gospel advancement through us. Left to our imagination, we will see at least two things happen in our lives when we have our perspective. When we're left to our imagination, we will, we will fight for safety, fear of what could happen, retreat from the city and culture, an overemphasis on our family and protecting our family, making decisions to neglect the purposes of God in our life for the sake of what makes sense for our family. Let me just tell you, God has called you to take care of your family, but it is not at odds with what he's called you to in the world. And some of us will choose what makes sense for our family above what God deems is good for us as his purpose. And so there's a sense in which we might prioritize safety to the neglect of God's purposes. But also it will lead to us not only pursuing safety, but sidelining us. Based on the feeling that the darkness is winning and the belief that God wouldn't use us to see change, we can fall into the rut of coming Sunday after Sunday. Churches all in Atlanta in the rut, coming Sunday after Sunday with no imagination for God's presence and power that could show up in this instant and change the lives of not only your life, but also the lives of the people outside of this room. Church, Have we lost our imagination for the power of God? Have we lost our imagination for how God could use us here and now? Are we just waiting our lives out until we go and see Jesus? Or are we on our knees and are we merging toward the front lines of mission to see what God could do on the landscape of human history for his glory? Make no mistake about it, friend, God is not on the sidelines. He is working in incredible ways all over this world. He has not lost. He's got some tricks up his sleeve. There is a world in desperate need for Jesus and it's up to us to take radical ownership for the lostness of our city right here and right now. Our purpose, friend, is much greater than protecting our family from the culture We have been sent by Jesus to tell others who he is and what he has done. At the end of the day, that's why we're here, to tell people about Jesus. And So the question I want to ask this morning for you and for me as we learn and lean into following Jesus is this. How can we live with hope for the world when the world is growing hostile to us? How can we live with hope for the world when the world is growing hostile to us? Right here in the pages of scripture, Jesus is going to encourage the hearts of his disciples who are gonna be by themselves, who are gonna feel like the weight of the world and darkness is against them. And he's gonna show them that he has what it takes to fulfill the mission that he's called us to. That you don't have to wait it out until you die. You don't have to just merely show up Sunday after Sunday. You can expect the power of God because Jesus came, he died and he reigns and rules again. And so this morning, the takeaway that I wanna give you is this. If we're gonna have hope for the world when the world is hostile to us, it's gonna take this. Write this down if you could. A confident hope for a hostile world that leads to compassionate mission is only created and sustained by the daily influence of the Word of God. I believe that with all of my heart. A confident hope for a hostile world that leads to compassionate mission is created and sustained by the daily influence of the Word of God. Friend, if you let anything else influence you, it will lead you to fear, it will lead you to frustration, It will sideline you. It will lead you to make sense out of what's best for you but if you want to leverage your life on the landscape of human history for God's glory then once you are influenced by the word of God daily in your life you will see that you are a son or daughter of the most high king and in his presence and in his power and in his provision you are ultimately safe to risk your life boldly in the face of the opposition and know that he has already won Let's jump in. Four insights that will give us hope to engage a hostile world with the gospel. Are you ready? If you're ready, say amen. Amen. All right, the first thing that I wanna show you is in verses, chapter 15, verse 18 through 16, four. It's this, the reality of unbelief. If we're gonna have insight to engage a culture and a world with confidence in the gospel, we have to unpack and understand the reality of unbelief. Friends, it's easy to feel threatened by the way people around us are embracing and even moralizing sin. Yet it's important to understand that one's sinful rebellion and rejection of God and his people is simply an issue of ignorance. I'm not saying that people are ignorant. It's simply an unknowing and ignorance of understanding. Jesus says it like this, look down in chapter 16, two through three, says it like this in your Bible. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you, listen, look at that word, think he is offering service to God. In his mind, he thinks he is offering service to God. Verse three, and they will do these things because, that's, that's a purpose, that's the reason, the why they will do these things. Look at what he says next. Because they have not known the Father nor me. Jesus is unpacking for us the reality of unbelief, that it's an unknowing, that it's an unknowing. Jesus says in these verses that they are hostile to you and to me and to what we believe because they don't know God. They don't know the father who has sent the only son to give up his entire life that you and I would have life. He doesn't, they don't know him. To put another way, they're doing what they know. They are living like sinners and we should not expect sinners to live anything other than like sinners who don't know God. We shouldn't be surprised by that, nor should we be threatened by that. Rather than responding to sinners with criticism, we should respond with compassion as Jesus did. Matthew 9, 36 gives us a perfect picture of how Jesus looks at us and looks at others who don't know him. In verse 36 of chapter nine, he says, when he saw the crowds, Jesus is giving us an impression of what what is most naturally welling up in him when he sees people in need of him. It's not discouragement it's not criticism when he sees the crowds he has compassion for them because they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd how do you see unbelievers around you he didn't see them as the enemy he saw them as sheep who needed to be served and shepherded who aren't to be moved away from but be moved toward with compassion Compassion over criticism. Compassion over indifference. Why? Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says, of their state, he says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. He's saying that to believers. You were once dead. Following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we were all, we all lived According to our passions, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were once spiritually dead and separated from God because of sin. We see here that sin is not only a choice, it's a condition. And rather than being surprised by others' sin, we should move toward them in compassion. Friends, we have the only hope that is given. To humanity, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the power of God that can heal and give hope to any person, no matter who they are, no matter where they are, no matter what they look like, no matter where they came from. And friend, if you're sitting here today and you're wondering what all of this is about, maybe you've been exploring Christianity, I wanna tell you that what makes Christianity special is the fact that there is a God who created you, who identifies himself as Father, who says, I don't want heaven or anything apart from you, so I will send what is dear to me, what is best of me, and send him to the earth, who is Jesus, to live the perfect life that you could not live, die the death that you and I deserve to die because of our sin, and he rose three days from the grave. and now he reigns and rules and now he is pursuing all people to be a part of his family. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ that we have a father who wants us into his family and says that we are his sons and his daughters. And so how do you think about unbelievers? How do you think about people in your life that do not share your Christian values? Are you fearful or frustrated toward them? Or do you feel what Jesus feels, that compassion from the very bowels of who he is welling up inside of him that they need a savior and I want to love them and shepherd them and serve them until they know him. Friends, we can treat non-Christians as though they should know God, but he says right here that they act this way because they don't know me. It's an issue of ignorance. My oldest daughter who's 11, some of you who are first children can relate to this. She is a special child who is amazing and just gets most things right. And uh, I can often treat her like an adult and forget that she needs to be just treated like a kid. I can forget that she's even a kid. I have to remind myself don't expect from her what you would an adult. When we get frustrated with people who don't know Christ, we should in that moment expect unbelievers to act and think like they are. For Charlie Ann, when I remember that she is a kid, it reminds me that I'm her dad and she needs me. In the same way, remembering that we have the good news church that unbelievers don't, let it fill you with compassion and drive you toward them to see that their need would be met of knowing Jesus and Jesus alone. Friends, if we're gonna understand the people around us that are even moralizing and expecting sin, then we have to understand this is, a, this is a mode of ignorance. We should not be ignorant to their ignorance. We should be compassionate toward them. How does this apply itself on a Wednesday? You may have someone in your life that you're losing hope for their change right now you feel like you've been pitted between loving them and affirming their lifestyle. We have people in our church family that feel that moment right then. You can hold out the rope that they're that they are taking what they know since they don't know God and they're trying to create a gospel for themselves. Friends, we are all trying to create a gospel for ourselves. We either receive the gospel by faith or we take a gospel by works. We are to hold out hope that the gospel, this gospel will not sustain them and that Jesus offers a better gospel that can give them the love and acceptance that they're so craving in their sexuality or their gender identity. And you can hold out onto hope, keep loving them and trust that as you share the good news of Jesus with them, you can actually imagine their heart changing before God. So why can we even imagine That someone with that level of spiritual brokenness and darkness even change. Jesus gives us another point, number two, in verses 5 through 15, he shows us the advantage of the spirit. This is the only hope for true life change. It's tempting to feel that we could do nothing, that nothing we could say and nothing we could do could ever change the mind of an unbeliever. Friends, that's true. There's nothing we could do to ever change anyone's heart because only God can change the heart of an unbeliever. And changing hearts was the very work Jesus was doing beside his disciples. Look down in verse seven of chapter 16 with me. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For I do not go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus is saying that there is, that it is to their advantage that he will go away. Because when he does, he will send to them and to us the Spirit of God. But why would that be to an advantage? Here's why. At that point, God was changing people through Jesus who lived beside his disciples. And now he's going to change people through the Spirit who lives inside his disciples To put it like this, Jesus was saying that the spirit inside of you is better than Jesus even beside you. The church of Jesus Christ has been filled with the spirit of God to preach the gospel of God for the salvation of unbelievers. And how would the spirit do this work by himself? No, he says right here, the helper will come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Don't miss that repetition of to you. He's showing us here that the Spirit will not do work apart from you. He will not do work around you. That God has designed his purposes of salvation to be spread through you. You who are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the special place where the presence and the power and the praise of God exists and emanates from. That as you come in contact with other believers, that God will use your words to shape their hearts. As you share the facts of the gospel, he will speak it in their hearts in a way that they are meant to hear it. He says that when the Spirit comes, he will convict. The Spirit of God is the one who convicts. He doesn't need you to convict anyone. He just calls you to share the good news. And as you do, you can trust that there's a second voice in the room who's speaking to the hearts of people. And that when they hear his voice, they will come awake and they will know who this God is that has saved them. (laughs) Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. God's chosen plan for the salvation of the world is his people witnessing to what he has done as the spirit gives power to their words. But the spirit will not work in a vacuum. He will work in a person. A person who makes, him, makes themselves available Who believes from Jesus' perspective, my God's got a few tricks up his sleeve, and he might just use me to bring people in ignorance and illuminate them into faith. This is a powerful picture of what God does as we are faithful to communicate the truth of the gospel. I heard a story recently of a guest preacher preaching in a faraway country in a and I believe it was actually a Spanish speaking country and uh, was preaching the gospel in a service. And, uh, and there, were, there were people, he recognized there were people that were like crying and giving their life to Christ. And it was just this amazing like response of all that was taking place. And this guy was dumbfounded because he's like, I'm not doing anything special. If anything, it's pretty ordinary. What he didn't know was that the interpreter knew the lives of these people and knew exactly what they needed to hear. And so he was changing, she was changing what the pastor was saying in order that she could preach what they really needed to hear. (laughs) Friends, the Holy Spirit's doing the same thing. When you lean on the interpreter, there's a second voice that's heard in the room. There is one who wakes up the dead hearts. There is one who brings people to sight. There is one who brings people into the resurrection power that Jesus experienced. And that is true as we share the facts of the gospel. And so I want to encourage you, lean on the second voice. Lean on the interpreter. Let him awaken the heart as you speak the word. How does he do this? How does the advantage of the Spirit become real for us? Jesus gives us another point. If you're taking notes, point three, insight is the opportunity of prayer. He wants you to know that not only do you have the advantage of the Spirit, you have been given the opportunity of prayer. Jesus begins to unpack this viewpoint and open their imagination to what's possible for them as believers when he goes away. Jesus gives an important insight in John 16, 23 through 24. Look down with me in verse 23. He says, in that day, notice, you will ask nothing of me. He's not talking about the end of time. He's talking about when he goes away. You'll ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name. So no longer are we going to ask Jesus. We're going to ask the Father in the character and reputation of what Jesus has done for us. He will give it to you when you ask. Until now, verse 24, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Do you know that God desires prayer not because it's something you should do, but because he desires to fill you with joy? That as the people of God pray, you recognize who you really are and who he really is. And you begin to walk in this world, not with fear, but with joy in what you have at your disposal because of the opportunity of prayer that's made available to you through your access with God. Jesus gave him his very life and is our mediator. And through his precious blood and resurrection, you and I now have access to God the Father, to go into the very presence of the one who created us and say whatever is on our minds and our hearts, we don't have to pray KJV, we can pray what's in me. And everything that's in you, the Father wants to hear from you. Friends, it is. It devastates me when my daughters won't tell me what's really on their heart. I'm their father. I was made to take care of them. That's my job. I can't take care of them if they don't tell me what's going on. I can only guess the Heavenly Father's inviting you into that same relationship. He says, you have direct access to come into the room with the King of kings and the Lord of lords and to give whatever is on your heart so that I can take care of you and fill you with joy, knowing that I am for you and I will never be against you. This is the opportunity of prayer. Jesus has won access with the Father for us. And now we have the Father's presence And when we come into the Father's presence, we are covered in the righteousness of Christ. And because of the righteousness of Christ, then we are met with the same love and passion that he meets Jesus himself with. Friends, you don't have to win God over, you don't have to feel like you're not enough to please God. You know that the precious blood covers you so that when you walk into the room, he meets you with the same love and delight that he meets his own son with. And he says, come into my presence with with boldness because of the throne of grace. He meets us with the same love and passion in the same way that he carried out his salvation purposes with his son in the same way he gives us the opportunity to participate in his salvation purposes through prayer. Friends, do you know that God always answers the prayers that you pray, but he doesn't answer the prayers that you don't? When you pray a prayer, God either says, yes, exactly the way that you want it, or no, because I love you too much, I will do something better. But he does not answer the prayers that you don't pray. The father desires intimacy from you more than he desires ministry from you. And you don't have to clean yourself up to come into the king of kings room. You come as you are because Jesus already cleaned you up. And his presence and his access is free for you. And he has designed prayer to work, the opportunity of prayer to work in this way, that God has designed his work to be completed in the world and in Avondale and in Atlanta in response to the prayers of his children as we pray according to his character and for his glory. Friends, what would happen if we began to take the opportunity of prayer that God desires to work in response to our prayers, his children, because we're covered with the righteousness of Christ. I heard a story, you may have heard this in this church. I'm always gripped by the story that Vance Pittman shares as he was launching a church in Las Vegas. Vance tells a story that he was only a week into living in Las Vegas. He's from Alabama, moves to this growing city to plant a church. And there was a lady from the Philippines there that moved to Hong Kong with a family that she was serving. That family moved from Hong Kong to Woodstock, Georgia. She heard the gospel and came to faith at a church called First Baptist Woodstock and then soon relocated to Las Vegas. She lived in Las Vegas for a year and a half and prayed every day of her life that God would send a church planter to Las Vegas from First Baptist Woodstock. She calls Vance Pittman and says, I've been praying every day for a pastor, a planter, to come from First Baptist Woodstock to Las Vegas, Nevada. Pastor, can you tell me where you're from? She had no idea that God had raised up Vance Pittman from First Baptist Woodstock, and he chose to work in response to her prayers because he's a God who is playful and powerful, and he can do whatever we ask him to do. You see, that church has seen thousands of people come to faith, hundreds of churches started, and they trace it all back to the steady, persistent prayers of a little Filipino woman named Letty Peralta. And Vance says that they've been riding the wave of God's favor ever since. Gospel Hope, what if one of you in this room would begin to take up the altar and give your life to persistent prayer for this community and for this church for the pastors of this church to preach the gospel faithfully, for the members of this church to spread the gospel desperately, that God would do a work in Atlanta like we've not seen before. What if you were the one that God raised up, that this church began to ride the wave of God's faithfulness into its future? Our church has been going through John chapter 15 recently and you might be familiar of that passage it uses the vine and the branch analogy it says in verse 5 i am the vine you are the branches whoever abides in me and i in him he it is that bears much fruit from apart from me you can do nothing let me tell you how i've always read that passage christian you can't do anything you need me you think you can do anything but you need me you know how i've not understood that passage till recently I've always understood that is that I cannot accomplish anything apart from God. You know what God revealed to me in that passage? You know who holds on to the fruit? It's not the vine, it's the branch. He's showing us that not only we cannot do anything apart from God and his power, but he's also showing that he is unwilling to do anything in this world apart from you. That you actually will carry the fruit of God as you pray, as you take the spirit of God, that he is unwilling to work apart from you. He wants to work through you. And so I don't care who you are in this room. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what your background is like. I don't care how much of the Bible you know. If you know that you're filled with the Spirit of God and that you have access in the opportunity of prayer, God says that I want to bear my fruit through you so that people would come to know me. Friends, what if we began to believe that? God's not gonna do anything in this city if we don't begin to pray. He is unwilling to do it apart from us. And if he has to, he will wait and wait and wait. What if you and I are the hindrance to the great gospel spread in Atlanta? The fourth insight that he wants them to see is this. Not only are we, do we need to understand the reality of unbelief, the advantage of the spirit, the opportunity of prayer, but he leaves them with this statement. It's the pronouncement of victory. From our point of view, it looks like the world is winning and we are losing. It looks like darkness is advancing and light is dimming. But John 16, challenges our vantage point with the good news of the reality of Christ's victory, even when it feels like the world is winning and we are losing. Verse 33, look down with me, says this, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have peace. Tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome. The world, Don't miss the English language there, I have overcome. That is in the perfect tense, which means that he did it once, and it has continuing ramifications for his victory in this world. So that no matter how dark the world gets, he has not lost, nor will he ever lose. And from your vantage point, you might fear that the darkness is overtaking you, but when you look to the influence of God's word, you recognize that Christ has already won, and he is advancing. In the world through his people, and by his spirit and giving their lives to prayer. This is a powerful passage for the disciples that he announced that when he would be leaving, that they are to do, what they are to do, what they are to expect, is that they would feel like they had lost, but Jesus has announced that he has won. Christ's victory leads us to an outlook of optimism over fear and pessimism. It leads us to confidence to go into all the world and preach the gospel because everywhere we step belongs to a victorious king, that there's no place that you're gonna step today with your family that Jesus already has not proclaimed, this is mine and he has victory, and you can welcome his victory right where you are. And do you know why you can have optimism in the midst of this world right now? It's because Revelation 7 tells us how the story ends. We see at the very end of Revelation that the very ones that you and I are complaining about will one day be gathered around the throne celebrating the one that we say that we know. And as we celebrate with people from every people group, tribe, tongue, and nation, we will forget about this darkness and we will be in the one who has bright light, the one who has won the victory, the one who is the king. We will sing worthy is the lamb who was slain and all of our problems, all of our fears, all of our decisions will be passed because he will have wiped every tear from our eyes. And so church family, what would it look like if you and I engaged the world with those four insights? It would give us hope for a world that is growing hostile to us. It would give us a perspective of Ephesians 3, 20 through 21. He says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or imagine, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory forever in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever Amen. Friends, we are not helpless in a hostile world. Jesus has set up the church to be the hope of the world. Let's take radical ownership for the lostness in our city and let's fuel our imagination of God's activity in our city through us by the daily influence of this word that we have. Jesus has already won. We know how the story ends. He has declared victory over you and me, over our families, over our children, over generations, and he will never lose. Our God, though we feel that we're losing, though we feel the darkness taking over, he has a few tricks up his sleeve and he ain't done yet. May God get all the glory for what he does in our church and among the nations for his glory. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you ain't done yet. We thank you that you help us understand how you feel about us and others who walk far from you, that this is an issue not of, not of anything other than ignorance. God, fill us with compassion. Help us to see unbelievers the way that you do, that they need to be served and shepherded, not shielded from. Father, help us to, begin to walk out every day with a mindfulness and awareness of the power of the Holy Spirit that goes with us wherever we go, that God's very presence is in us now. Oh, God, help us to see the privilege and the opportunity of prayer that when we hear the enemy say, no, he'll never hear you, No, he doesn't listen to you. No, he doesn't answer that way. No, he is distant from you. Help us to know that we have direct access because of Jesus, our Redeemer. And when it's all said and done, Lord, though we feel the darkness pushing against us, help us to stand in the face of the opposition with optimism, knowing that he has already won. We are not helpless in a hostile world. Help us to have the hope of the gospel and to share the hope of the gospel with all that we know, trusting that you have won. In Jesus' name, amen.